This is Rob Holder from Balmy, Minnesota. Welcome to Rugger Matrix USA. Thanks very much, Rob Holder, joining us from Spearhead Rugby Academy for another special episode of Rugger Matrix USA. I'm your host, Juro Sin, joined in a moment by the irrepressible Bruce McLean from New York City. A special show about America's youth, episode 006 of Rugger Matrix USA. Bring the ball. Yes, hello and welcome to episode 6 of Rugger Matrix USA. 2010 is racing along. Fantastic guest last week, Billy Millard. Bruce McLean, come on in from New York City. Yeah, New York City's doing all right. It's gotten a lot warmer here, but we have a we have a guest coming on the show who has been in weather that you have never experienced in your entire life, Juro. But uh, why don't you explain a bit? I guess Rob Holder joining us today on Rugged Matrix USA. Yeah, Rob Holder is the he's the Rugger Matrix USA Coach of the Year. He's the former Eagle Manager. He was the former coach of the Air Force Academy when they beat Cal Berkeley for the university title in 2003. He is a uh, he's an Eagle Pool player. He was an elite athlete as a wrestler, Greco-Roman at at the uh, U.S. Military Academy. And he's basically done everything you could possibly want to do in rugby. All of the things that he was Peter Thorburn's manager. He was he was Scott Johnson's manager. He was coach at East Palo Alto. I mean, I love the guy. He's uh, he's a great friend of mine, and he's always got some interesting things. We don't always agree on everything, but but I'll tell you, he he's definitely interesting. He's passionate, and 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 Rob Holder. It is really great to have you here, and, and I'm really excited that you're on the show. Actually, Rob's a virgin, Juro, so we have to be easy on him. He's never been on a podcast before. Well, you've picked a good one to start. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks. I appreciate it, Juro and Bruce. It's really good to be here. And uh, I'm counting on the fact that you don't always agree with Bruce, so um, let's, uh, let's spark it up, so to speak. Rob, uh, I guess we start the show saying every week that we're glad that the USA is through to the World Cup, and it means a lot to everyone in the game, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Uh, this year, very similar to the World Cup uh, qualification that we went through when I was uh, part of Peter Thorburn's staff, uh, it's great to go down um, in a very uh, hostile crowd in Montevideo and get a win and then to come back and seal it on our home soil. It's We're all happy and we're all looking forward to another great World Cup. Your son, Will, who was a, a top-class baseball player, top-class football player, all league, all county, all, uh, all district, and, and he was playing uh, football at U.S. Military Academy at West Point where you graduated and your wife Anne graduated. And he has decided to make a big move as a as a dual footed kicker, an ambidextrous kicker, a wonderful fly half, and he has decided to do something big and 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 focus exclusively on rugby. That's big news. And I think we're the first to break that. I yeah, it's it's brand new. It's hot off the press. He. He really enjoyed his time with football and hasn't completely ruled out going back at some point in time. Had a good chat with the coaches and the football team there, and they, they had a good season. But he really missed rugby, and he loves the game of rugby. He's been playing it almost as long as he's been playing football. And he wanted to give a, a, 
real effort this spring. He didn't want to try to split up rugby and football this spring. He wanted to uh, focus his uh, efforts on rugby and see how far he could take it. Um, he's, you know, joining a, a team at Army that's got a great tradition and a really good coming off a really good fall. And he's really excited about it. He told me he was out playing on the frozen turf this afternoon, playing a bit of touch, uh, trying to get his fitness back up because it's very, very different fitness wise from football, as you know, Bruce. Um, and um, he's excited about it. It's something he came to on his own. Um, his mom and I tried to stay away from it and let him make his own decision. That's he's earned the right to do that. But uh, yeah. we're really supportive and really excited to see him play some rugby this spring. Yeah, and it's also uh, not uh, not everybody knows that Rob's wife Ann also went to West Point. You guys graduated in 1989 together, so that's uh, that's that's pretty impressive in and of itself. That uh, probably makes her tougher than 99.99 percent of <laughs> rugby players. Never mind people in America. So that's that's some pretty good stuff. Well, Rob, we're here to talk age grade rugby, baby, and that's what you're all about: age grade rugby, player retention, player development. And let's just have at it and say, hey, what are your thoughts going forward? What are your thoughts on we don't have a plan. We were discussing today. You were saying, hey, does USA Rugby have their plan out yet? I said, nope. And I don't think we're going to see one until I don't even want to see one until mid-February at the, at the earliest. So we'll just lay off them for that and we'll deal with it then. But let's talk Rob Holder age grade Spearhead Rugby Academy. Let's just let's just talk about a, a lot of things. What do you see in terms of what you would do if you were the Nigel Melville of USA Rugby in terms of age grade? Well, let me uh, go off of that question by just giving a little bit of background. When I coached at the Air Force Academy and subsequently at Stanford, um, one of the things that I learned over those years is that especially as I was going through the recruiting process is that typically in American rugby one of the one of our biggest issues is that we, as we grow the high school game and as more and more players enter the game um, we are having difficulty placing them in our traditional college system um, so what happens oftentimes it certainly happened at Air Force almost exclusively and also happened at Stanford to a great extent, is that our college rugby players end up um, starting from scratch. So you've got this group of high school players coming through the system that don't find places in the elite college programs. And so often the elite college programs are starting from scratch. Now that's a bit of a generalization, but over time, um, and as I worked more and more with high school programs, recruiting for college programs, I learned that we're missing the boat on a lot of tremendous athletes. And there's a number of reasons for that, which we can get into later. Uh, but I developed a real passion for player retention. Um, I think that the only way we'll ever succeed as a nation at the highest levels, at the Eagles levels, is to be able to take be able to keep our players who started playing at an early age and give them the pathways to continue to play at an elite level at a high level all the way up. Uh, that's what I started Spirit Rugby Academy for, uh, but that's really been a passion of mine for many, many years. And, and that's what sort of incorporates age grade rugby and many of those things you touched on there. Rob, how do you do well, that? What, what's the key to keeping players in rugby when there's so many other things to do? Well, the key for me, in my mind, 
um, having been a crossover athlete myself and come from other sports um, is you have to provide a, well, let me back up a second. You have to analyze what does every kid in America grow up wanting and every kid in America, and I've got four of them, two of them are, have been at this age where, where they already are, are desiring this. Every kid in America wants a sports scholarship to university. That is, that is their ultimate goal. Um, we can't provide that in rugby right now, and we don't provide that in rugby to any serious extent. And so we have to f provide something similar that they can grasp hold on to and declare as uh, accomplishing their goal. So I think we have to provide alternatives where they are, where scholarship or non-scholarship, where we can combine elite sport with ac an academic experience, because that's what every kid grows up doing, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it and it it definitely makes sense. And 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 I wanted to just kind of flesh it out a little bit in terms of there are there are some universities that have amazing programs, but there are some universities that have amazing programs with no help. There are some universities that have amazing programs and some help. There are some universities that have, you know. A, a good amount of opportunity for people. And then there are players who just kind of fall through the cracks. And that's what happened. Like one of the reasons that we, we started to do the, um, we wanted to get the, the, the document together where we can give information for high school students about, about college rugby was because Xavier rugby students were not going to colleges where they were getting a good rugby experience and then coming out and playing men's rugby. They were just going to college, getting drunk, and turning into John Belushi and never playing rugby again. So now more and more Xavier students are going, and then hopefully through the document that we've put together, hopefully there's going to be thousands and thousands more going through and, and trying to find themselves a proper fit of their university so that they can go and again retain themselves in the men's rugby. So many people think in men's rugby that money's the answer. Money's not the answer. Money's the answer lower down the track. The uh the answer for men's rugby is we need players who can actually play and officers who can actually be uh can be officers and, and that's what we need. We don't need money. And that's in my mind and I don't know if you agree or disagree with me. Well, I like to use the analogy, um, and, and, and let me come at this from a kind of backwards from, from what your statement, your question there. I like to use the analogy. We all, all of us watched Texas square off against uh, Alabama in the national championship game, the BCS national championship game uh, in at the beginning of this month. And if, if I was to say, look at the athletes in those teams. There's 22 players on the field at a time, 11 per side on any given time period in that game of those 22 players, my estimation that between 18 to 20 of those would not qualify for those same universities in rugby. Um, and until rugby has the ability 
to help high school players with admission standards and to help them um, with the financial uh, stress that comes with going to college. And, and so scholarships and admissions help. Until rugby is able to do that, we have to find ways for those same kids, those same top athletes to be able to have a similar type experience. And so, um, again, there's a little bit of money involved there. And, and yes, this is, this is not at the men's club, which, which you say you don't need, where there isn't money needed. But um, the main thing is to give them that similar experience. So give those kids that are the equivalent of Texas and Florida players an experience comparable to that in rugby. And that's not what, that's not what we're able to do right now. Because in most cases, if you take some of the elite programs, some of them have admissions help without financial help. Others have a bit of financial help, but they don't have admissions help. And so um, we have to find alternatives. Do I believe rugby will get there sooner or later at the college level? Absolutely. But in the meantime, we need to find ways to do it. Like for instance, Santa Barbara Rugby Academy, they've got a way for kids to go to a junior college and get a great rugby experience and improve their grades so they can either, they can move up the ladder. Um, but these are kids that wouldn't typically qualify for most universities that have top rugby playing programs. And that's, that's the analogy I like to use. So you talk about scholarships there, Rob, but uh, when they look at a player like Todd Clever, who's now making an impact overseas in the Super Rugby competition, does that tweak their interest even further? Do you see kids coming through that would prefer to play in a national USA professional competition, a la Super League, uh, to um, playing overseas, as we've talked about on the show before? Absolutely. Todd is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Todd... Um, got out of high school. Uh, he went to University of Nevada, which wasn't at the time anywhere near a rugby powerhouse. In fact, they were a Division II rugby program. Uh, he and his brother, by their presence there, raised the level of that rugby program, but they still got a, a very um, minor rugby playing experience there. Uh, I know they really enjoyed it, but I remember playing and losing to Nevada Reno when I was coaching at Stanford. And to the rugby playing population, I, we would watch Todd Clever win the line out. Um, they would hit it up in the midfield with their forwards. And then on, on the next phase, Todd would be essentially playing fly half because he was not only the best line out jumper and the best flank forward, but he's also the best distributor on their team. And so he'd be out there. And so what happened with Todd was after a couple years of that, when he at the 18, 19 year old levels, he decided to go to pursue his rugby overseas uh, after his, um, after a couple of years, he didn't finish his college education. And then he went and took that next step to really raise his game to the elite level. And if we can have that pathway for our kids, uh, especially at that young age, Todd made that break, which was at the time was scary for him. And um, he was taking a bit of risk because he was basically leaving a college education uh, to pursue his professional rugby playing um dreams and it paid off for him and i think you're exactly right we have the potential to have more and more kids doing the exact same thing hey rob you know what why don't we just cut to the chase and just skip the we understand that there is a pathway for college athletes to play in college and and i know that that's 
a big that you know we want that pathway to work and we've spoken to you you and i went to ed haggerty's office over at rugby magazine and we spoke to him about this you also want to have an alternate pathway for players and I, i wanted to go through all your pathways and i want you to really focus in on the alternate pathway for players who perhaps cannot get into or have that elite college experience that we talk about. There's only, you know, maybe 10, maybe 20 of them. And, you know, on a, on a best case scenario, 30 that, that where they can go. So let's just say there's other things that you could do. Like not everybody's going to get into Cal Berkeley. Not everybody's going to go to Dartmouth. Not everybody can get into Penn state. There's got to be somewhere where everybody can. We, we have to have a way to get everybody involved. So and I, I know that that's something you want to talk about. So let's just get into it straight from Jump Street. Well, that, that uh, question I spent a lot of time thinking on. Um, I believe that, and again, you stated it, but the, the, the collegiate pathway is fantastic. And we need to encourage as many kids that qualify for that to go that route. Uh, the rest of the kids, and, and I can use, for example, my kids that I worked with and that my son played with in East Palo Alto. Most of them struggled uh, to get by in high school. Uh, their grades were, um, you know, marginal. They had lots of challenges as far as uh, the, to, to really perform well at school. And yet they were, but they were fantastic rugby players. Um, you know, my team happened to be largely Polynesian. So they were fighting a language barrier, among other things. Um, but there's a place for them. Um, football has done a great job of using the junior, junior college system as a breeding ground for top athletes to get their academics up or to get a alternative education before moving into the professional ranks. And I'm a big proponent of that. Spirit Rugby Academy is going to be based on the American Junior and Technical College system. It's specifically for di- kids that do not fall into uh, the categories of the typical American university player. And um, our goal is to give them that elite rugby playing experience alongside the educational experience of of a two-year program where they can um, really improve their rugby at ages 18 and 19. Um, One of the the major components of that will be availability of the age-grade programs. That'll be a priority for us. Right now, many of the age-grade competitions conflict with the American University calendar. And I, I think it's important that these kids are available whenever they need to be available. And we found that junior colleges are more than willing to work with us uh, either to do uh, long distance learning during that, that process of say an under twenties uh, world cup competition, a junior world cup or the buildup towards something like that. And, and junior colleges are much more easy to work with. The cost is less and the barriers to entry are almost none. As long as you have a high school education, you can get into junior college. So that, that's what I'm proposing while we, while our universities raise their status enough so that they can offer some of the same things to kids. So the kids get their positions in institutions and academies, but uh, what about the amount of rugby they actually get to play? Uh, in Australia, we see a lot of kids taken into academies to build them up, to bulk them up, to play rugby. But far too often, we see them not playing competitive rugby. 
and they seem to be just gym junkies and uh, involved in far too much planning for a game that they just need to get out and play. The the way that I've seen it dealt with in Europe, and and it's it's I know it's a challenge over there as well. Um, but in fact, Jono and I have had many discussions about this um, because of his the way he's got his academy set up. They've they identify these kids and they put them in their academy, and then they get them games in all different competitions based on where they're currently at as as a level. So we've got there's a, a kid that played in the age grade teams with my son Will, who's Hanno Dirksen, who's over there with Jono right now, and he's getting game time. He's got a few games with the full Osprey squad, but he's gotten a number of games with one step down in um, the leagues over there, and he's really showing a lot of promise, and he's really getting his game time there. Um, what what I think is is good about their system is they take it now away from being a team-driven system, I pick the best players to win this game and make it more an individual-based system. To me, that's the difference between academy and a team. Is the academy is about the individual over individuals' needs over the teams, and a team is about obviously the team's needs first. But do you and, see? Uh, and sorry, Rob, to jump in there. What we've seen in the Australian environment is, is that these players are put into these academies and a, and a, and a are ramped into a strength and conditioning program, but they forget how to play football because they're not given back to their clubs to, to continue to play football, to play rugby. That's, I, that's the I, big issue. That's, yes, and I agree with that 100%. And it's up to the academy manager to find them the games at the appropriate level because without game time, they're never going to improve. I agree with that 100%. Well, Bronk, we were just talking last week with Billy and – you were saying like, and I, and I and I didn't comment on it because I, I and I wanted to, is you were saying it's about the team, it's about the team, it's about you know and and Rob's talking about the individual. I actually think that you build the individual and then you build the team, and I you know I, I think it kind of intermeshes into itself, and then we say like, all right, Rob, is the academy fully about the individual? And then the team is fully about the team. Like at some point, like there's some teams that, like when you were the Eagle manager, you didn't necessarily want me at the New York Athletic Club to think about my team fully as a team because you had individuals that you wanted to be on your team that you wanted me to think about as an individual. And I think the higher you go up the food chain, the the more you would think. You, you say that the people lower on the food chain have to say, no, think about them as an individual, and then we'll worry about the team stuff up here. Absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. Um, let me contrast that to the American system, and, 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 and this might help uh, for our listeners put this into perspective. We, we are brought up in American sport that at every level it's about the team, and the best individuals rise to the top within the concept of their team. And, and so what happens is take, for instance, again, well, everyone knows about university of Florida football. If team, if, if Tim Tebow was being developed for the NFL, like I'm suggesting we should do in rugby. And I think that uh, we, uh, Jero is suggesting the same thing for Australian rugby. If he was being developed for the NFL, then they would have him in an NFL system. 
everyone says that Tim Tebow is the best player in college football, but he won't get drafted high in the NFL because he's not playing in an NFL system. He's playing in the run, the spread offense, which is not made out for the NFL. Now, how does the NFL get away with that? Because just sheer numbers. We have so many numbers in American football that we can allow sort of a survival of the fittest to take place. Now, contrast that to American rugby or Australian rugby, where we have to have quality because we don't have the quantity. That's where you must have a system that focuses on the individual in the development stages. That's what rugby development's all about. And, and the individual comes before the team in those stages, I believe. And then when they get to the top levels, which is your junior world cup under twenties, and then your full national team. And if we ever got a pro system, it would, it would include those pro franchises, then they can put the team first. And I think that's what Juro's saying. And that's certainly what I'm saying, but I would contrast that to American sport where we just sort of thrive on survival of the fittest and whoever comes through, we want to win at our level and hopefully the cream rises to the crop, but they're not really being developed individually on the way up. How do you, comp you can't really compete against the NFL really. So um, what, how do you, how do you, it's, they're just monsters to compete against. So how do you get these talented potential rugby players to, to, to stick at it? Well, you take, um, and it's got to be more than, it's, 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 it's got to be more than the, obviously it's got to be more than financial remuneration, isn't it? It's, it's, it's something, right. something special that, that rugby has to offer. Right. And I, and, and that leads right into, um, for me, what rugby has as an advantage over NFL and most American sports, and that is international competition. Um, when my, and just to use a, a perfect example, um, and, you know, close to home. And I hope my son doesn't, uh, get upset with me for using this, but he, when, when he was looking at choices to play college football, uh, it was important to him that they had a good rugby program as well. Um, because he loved rugby and he didn't want to completely give up on that chance. Um, why did he love rugby so much? Well, rugby gave him the opportunity to play in a meal field competition in an international competition where he played against Romania and Portugal and England head on head, kids the same age, and, and he got to meet those kids, trade clothing with them. He got to do it in a, on foreign soil. He got to get to know they, they actually stayed with the Welsh team in the same dormitory. He got to know those guys. He got to keep in touch with them. And then he got to know kids in his own team from all over the United States. And so I think those are the type of competitions. And, and if you take that down, even down from the national team level, if you take uh, regional representative type sides, state sides or uh, groups of state sides, you know, region, regional sides, and all the way down, that's what we have as an advantage over um, football because football is only played in America. And, and we have to really highlight those things um, which I think we're not doing a great job of doing. We've, we've disbanded our under 17 program that, you know, I would say was the best rugby experience my son's ever had. And probably he would argue 
one of the top sporting experiences period that he's ever had. And that's, that's completely gone. And we've um, moved away from those types of competitions. I, I can imagine the, under, the junior world cup, which the America's not even competing in this year had to be a, a, a highlight. And, and now along with those things, we can also highlight the Olympics. And to be honest, those things are what we have to go after because as I say, those are our, that's where our competitive advantage lies in sort of these inter, this international flavor of our game. Yeah, Rob, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the other side of the argument, not because I'm taking it, just to and just to discuss it with you. There are people who would say that the under 20s World Cup happens within the school year, and we can't participate within the school year. Because people pay fifty thousand dollars to go to university, and they're not sending their kid to take off for three or four weeks, or whatever, or to lose a semester on that. So take that aside and then just say that's not what they're going to do. Or the under seventeen stuff, the same thing is. Now we participate as a high school American, traditionally in American sports. You know this, high school Americans, college all Americans, and then we're going to do the under twenties thing. In the summer, now I know that you you're a big thing on the apples to apples, and where we've had a reasonably we had a successful high school Americans uh, just last month, and then we've had a, a relatively unsuccessful in the 20s. Again, it wasn't apples to apples on either end. Like I know what I know what you're saying, and I know what they're saying. Like. Is there a marriage that we can have? Can we work it out? The thing is, the like the under twenties World Cup, the IRB pays for. So, for for what I'm concerned, like, like who cares? Like, if the kids can't go, so what? Take these kids, and if they're not good enough, it, as Thomas Edison said, I didn't fail. I just found out a thousand ways that don't work. So, if you <laughs> find out fifteen kids or thirty kids that don't that aren't going to succeed, that's good. You know, I don't know. What what do you think, Rob? I have I totally gone out of my mind on that one. No, did I, I not even I, ask? I, did I not even ask a question? <laughs> I I certainly understand where you're going, but I it may be I may be the only one. Um, but let me let me get at the point that you're you're making there, which is a good one. I understand why we moved away from under 17s and under 18s um, towards a high school American. We're trying to mirror. Uh, our American sports. Now, I certainly understand where that comes from. I understand the point in that. I watched the All-American, the Army All-American high school game just the other day in football. I, I, I understand where that tradition comes in and where that's important. I understand I, I was uh, proud to coach the All-Americans myself on a tour to New Zealand, and I think it's a fantastic program. However, there's two issues that I have with it. Number one, what I, what I, um, had just the point I just made to Juro uh, previously is I, I think that rather than try to compete with um, sports that already have these traditions, I think we should establish our own and, and um, really call attention to our own traditions that are international and different, you know, soccer does it very well. I think rugby should do the same thing. And that's American soccer that has, has come so far. Uh, so I, I still believe that the under 17s, the under 18s. The second is, is that now we have this 
our own identity in, in rugby, which is American, the high school Americans, but it doesn't apply to the rest of the world. So let's take example, this last assembly, our under our high school American team beat the Canadian under 17s teams uh, two times out of two. How do we evaluate the success or failure of that assembly? Well, let's look at who we played. And, and let's look at, at who, who played in this competition. Um, a year ago at Millfield, the U.S. under-17s played the Canadian under-17s and lost by a, about 30 points. I took and looked at those two squads and compared them to the squads that played this year. Now, Canada had none, not one of the same people involved because obviously all their under 17s were now too old and they're all under 18s and they had a new crop of under 17s that played in this competition. The high school Americans, however, had 16 players from that squad that went to Millfield return and play again. Now a team that was a year younger than them. Now we performed well in that scenario, but how do we measure that and how do we bring that forward as far as evaluating the development of those players? You know, have they improved? We don't have any idea. So we now have a, a great American traditional high school American team. However, we don't know how good they are. And we don't know if they've improved individually or collectively because we haven't compared them against kids their own age. And I think that's just inviting a lot of different issues down the road unless we can measurably analyze where we are in this process. And, and Rob, essentially what you were saying in, in the pre-show was that you wanted to compare apples to apples and not apples to oranges. Is, is that true? And, 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 and where are we in terms of, of our ability relative to top-class nations? Is, do you stand by that? Am, am, I, am I correct in what I'm saying? Exactly. That's... That's really what, and we haven't spent much time talking about, um, you know, when I was a part of the Eagle staffs, but that's really what eventually benefits the national team coaches is to be able to see where these players are against like players from around the world. And to be honest with you, that's why, uh, you know, when, when all else fails, most of our recent Eagle coaches have picked European pros when, you know, they've, they've given favor to European pros uh, because they know the competitions they're playing and they know how they perform against the same players they'll be playing at or similar players they'll be playing against in the national level. Um, and, th and that's why those guys get, get picked, um, even though they haven't competed against their competition here in the United States. Um, they coaches tend to tend to want to know they want to compare in, in, in your phrase there, Bruce, which is one I like as well. They want to compare apples to apples so they can say Todd Clever's in my team because he's playing in the Super 14 and all the players we're competing against are either in the Super 14 or in the premiership or in a similar competition. So he's automatically in until we find ways to do that throughout the system coming up, it's going to always be difficult for us to measure where we're at and figure out how we improve. Rob, how do you address this? Uh, we've talked about this on the program 
for a couple of weeks, and that is getting the rugby ball in in American kids' hands at a very young age. And I mean, you know, around five, six years of age, where they're just playing around with the, the rugby ball in the park. You know, well, nothing serious, but just getting it, you know... It's, we talked about this on Rugby Matrix International about having the the rugby ball as an extension of your hand because you've been used to playing it as a kid. And, you know, I, we used to do it uh, in the country of uh, New South Wales and it just became a natural thing the foot, the, to kick the footy around. It's a, that, That's the crucial part there. And, um, you know, I, again, to make another analogy, I'm, I'm big on analogies today, but Keep them uh, the greatest hockey players, you know, in, in, in Minnesota, they always say the greatest hockey players are born on the ponds. Um, pond hockey is where all the great ones get their creativity, their skill and their levels um, of, of where they become great hockey players. And how do, how do we get that rugby ball in their hands? I think it is a um, grassroots individual effort. I think people have to realize that if they, bring a rugby ball to a park and they get those kids playing it. They, those kids could care less what they're playing. They just want to play something. Exactly. And what, what happens is we often think that no has to be organized. It has to be uh, a major program. There has to be money paid. No, you just have to go to the park. I remember that when, when my son wanted to play rugby, when he was five or six, uh, you know, we started thinking, well, how we want to, how do we want to get it to play? And, and who would you want to play with? And he sort of named all these guys that he played others, other sports with. And so we just started bringing the ball to events and we started passing the ball around and they started getting some interest. And then we started finding ways to play these games in the park. And we got them a little more organized as we went along. But at the same time, the real joy came from just the pickup games where um, I'll never forget um, they didn't understand the game of rugby, so we had jerseys, and and we had them. We were very detailed about if you have this jersey, you play this position. And so we were just playing sevens, and so you know ones were the props, ones and threes were the props, and um, you know fours were uh, um, you know, the four was the scrum half, and five was the fly half, and you know we and and, and so every, so every time we had a selection um process with these young kids they would all say you know they'd all fight over who wanted to play what position and i want to play a different position than i did the last time and it was just and then and then they learned stuff as they went along and it just grew from there they just started having fun playing the game and they grew from there but it has to be done at i think in small groups and you have to have parents go out there and just be willing to take a bit of a risk and just take a rugby ball and throw it out there and let the kids have have a play with it and eventually um, more and more kids will will be drawn to it because it is a great game and it really sells itself as you go through. Yeah, Rob, I, I got to say that when 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 you look at the game of rugby and the camaraderie and the people that you get to meet and it, the fact that it's an international game, it's an amazing thing. Now, I know that you with Spearhead Rugby Academy, who is really catering to the um, to the person who is is not able to get into the uh, the mainstream top class university program, what are you doing at Spearhead Rugby? What have what have you been able to find as far as facilities in in Minnesota? 
then I want to talk to you about your experience with what Frank Merrill and your buddy Clive Jones from it's a Clive Jones I think it is from yeah, yeah. Uh, from Wales and and Tony Smith and and how has this all fostered itself into something where you want to make something happen in America and and a real positive growth program based on what what you've done with your buddy Clive over the past several years and 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 I think that you have a very good vision of the non-traditional way of moving forward. Well, let me answer your questions in reverse. Uh, let me start with um, Frank Merrill came to me a number of years ago as president of the Pacific Coast and says, we want to have a player development program for our young players um, so that we can identify them at an early age and then help them come through the system. And so we started kicking on ideas. Clive Jones was the uh, academy director for a number of years at the old Celtic Warriors. Um, prior to that, he was with Pani Preeth and a number of other Welsh programs and did a bit with the Cardiff system. But he was he's really good at identifying talent and setting up academy structures. And then uh, Tony Smith also came on board and they um, not only set up the uh, systems and um, designed the camps for these kids, but they helped tremendously in both on the ground and in preparation. Um, and, and I sort of just managed the deal. Um, and so what we did is we just went out and got nominations from uh, coaches across the Pacific Coast. And the Pacific Coast is huge. You know, it's, it's you know, Arizona, all of California, Utah, uh, Washington, Oregon. And we just went out and just solicited nominations. We didn't question these coaches as to, are you, you know, are you sure this kid's good? We just said, if you nominate him, he's, he's, you know, we're, we're taking your word for it. He's and, and, and then he's coming to camp. And what Frank was able to do was raise funds through the Pacific coast to make this affordable for everyone. So for about 125 bucks or whatever it was, they can get a, a full camp experience. And, and then we started and we started this at the under 16, under 17 age group so that we were getting really uh, guys that had finished their freshman year and sophomore years in high school, along with a couple who were just entering their freshman year so that we could then track them as they went through the process. Ideally, we'd have them for at least two summers and then help them and track them as they go through. Now, already, if you look at that high school all-American one of the reasons I know so much about that team is that about half of those kids came from our program um, that were in that uh, college all-American team either and they, and they were in one of our camps um, and and a number of these kids as we did this at my sort of thought that these kids aren't going to have a place to go a good percentage of them don't and so what we're finding is um, the uh, some of our best players are either not in post high school education at all, or they're trying to pursue a dream of uh, college football by going to a junior college and trying to make their way, um, or they're, or they're just out of school altogether. Some of them pick up with men's clubs, but it's a, it's a very challenging thing for an 18 year old to step onto the field with a, a, a men's 
club team um, and really performed to his level. So over the course of, I already sort of had this in my mind because I'd been working with some of these kids for a period of time prior to this. Over the course of working with these kids at the Pacific level, which again, Frank Merrill takes all the credit for that. He raised the money, he had the vision for it. We, that's where I started to think that, okay, let's find a place for these kids. Now, I will say that a number of them have followed a tremendous pathway. A number of them are going to Cal and they're going to be looked after. You know, that's sort of a ah, sigh of relief. I know they're going to be looked after. They're, that's a good, you know, excellent program. Consistently take care of these kids. And, and specifically from Jesuit, some of our kids from Jesuit are looked after in that system. Fantastic. But my focus has been on about, really, it's about 50% of them that don't have a pathway. So what we do is, is we, we, you know, we affiliate with this junior college. We're, we're in the process. We have a number of options. In Minnesota, real estate is fairly inexpensive. Um, we have a number of options. We've looked at purchasing a small school to convert into a dormitory and gymnasium facility. We've looked at purchasing farms so that we can not only have, uh, you know, um, housing, but we can have fields. Uh, we've looked at uh, utilizing existing facilities and just purchasing dormitory space. Our minimum requirement is going to have a dormitory where all the, the kids in the academy live together, eat together, and, and we can put them in an environment where they watch rugby together, uh, they train together, um, and, and that's going to be the bare minimum. And then we'll either own the facilities that they lift and, you know, weight train and, uh, um, and the fields that they trade on, or we'll find a way to lease them, uh, depending on the the scenario that we end up with. So um, the environment we want to put them in is live together. We've got uh, basically house parents lined up to live there and look after them and feed them. They'll have responsibilities. Um, they'll get their education from the junior and technical college, which could be, you know, a flat out. Uh, um, electricians program, or it could be a, uh, you know, um, working towards a bachelor of, of uh, a degree of some sort in a two, on a two-year track. And, and they will also get what I call rugby education, which will be um, coaching units and refereeing units within the academy itself. And, and, but the bottom line is they're going to be looked after. Now, um, we will, we hope to play as a team during certain, certain elements of our calendar, but we also think that we will uh, affiliate ourselves with different level teams in the area so that guys can be playing with different teams in other parts of the season. So take, for example, one kid might be division one level. And so we may, um, support him to play for the division one club in the area. Another may be division two and a third may be division three. Um, and then as we, as we grow, we'll have uh, a university site as well, but the, the needs of the individual will come first where they can be challenged, where they can fit in will, is, is where we need to put them first. And then the needs of the Academy, if we have an Academy team will come second and we'll fill in the gaps to get them enough games um, so that they, they can have the proper number of games for a season, which we're looking at is about 18 to 20 games. Rob Holder, that's a, a tremendous plan. Uh, I really uh, think uh, you're visionary in many aspects of the game. 
Thanks for joining us on, on the show this week. It's been a pleasure having you on. The pleasure's all mine, Joe. I really appreciate the invite. And Bru- Thanks, Bruce. And Bruce, as we always say, in a couple of weeks, it's all happening in Vegas for the USA Sevens. USA Sevens, baby. You got to be there. If you're not there, you're square. <laughs> and you may have to go back to watch the Brady Bunch to see what that means. But if you're not there, you're square. And, hey, Rob, are you going to USA Sevens or no? I'm still up in the air, to be honest with you. I may be out there. I may not. I haven't decided yet. Oh, you might be square, baby. <laughs> I'm going to be there. <laughs> and, I'm uh, going to be there. I'm going to be there. And I'm hoping that the New York Athletic Club does uh, does very well in their Invitational Sevens tournament. But uh, things are are looking like we will be and also ran. Who knows? Well, we'll uh, Bruce, uh, Rob, terrific guest. Uh, Rob, we'll have to get you back on uh, down the track as well. That's certainly Bruce. That, that, that'd be great. That'd be- yeah, especially when when Spearhead gets going. And, 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 and actually, we're going to be speaking to Matt Sherman next week. So we're going to have the complete opposite of the Rob Holder experience. We're going to be having the Matt Sherman experience. So it would actually be interesting to get Matt and Rob on together yeah. to really – talk about things because it, it's gonna you know I, I think there's gonna be a little bit of a dichotomy it's a big word for a guy who's been drinking um that's gonna be a that's <laughs> gonna be a bit of a dichotomy as to the vision and would you agree rob <laughs> that might, that's a good way of putting it bruce yes <laughs> as long as you're up for it rob we'll definitely do it that'll be down the track so uh, rob holler thanks very Please much talk. for joining us on rugged matrix usa thank you And thanks, Bruce, and thanks to Rob uh, as well for joining us on Rugger Matrix USA. We'll speak to you next week.